0: How to Eliminate Adrenal Fatigue and Have a Healthy Thyroid. My name is Dr. Joel Rosen, otherwise known as your Adrenal Fatigue Recovery Ninja. And I'm really excited to be talking about adrenal fatigue and thyroid because I really do believe that the, the two exist together to a certain extent. If you have a problem with a thyroid, then chances are you're going to have some faulty adrenal mechanics and vice versa. If you have a problem with adrenals, then you're going to have some problems with your thyroid mechanics. And we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about why that's being missed. We're going to talk about why medications may not help that. We're going to talk about what you can do from a nutritional approach and different tests you can do. So I'm really, really excited to talk to you today about this subject. I have a couple of health ke- keeping, uh, um procedures first. Basically, I want you to silence all your cell phones, not for me, but for you, because I want you to try to get the most out of this presentation today. Um, I have a a legal disclaimer that I have to get through today. Uh, The information including but not limited to the text, the graphics, the images and other materials contained in this presentation is for information purposes only. The purpose of this conference is to provide an understanding and knowledge of various health topics. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regime. And never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have encountered in this presentation. I'm always excited to get that over with. So let's talk about how to eliminate adrenal fatigue and have a healthy thyroid. So before we do that, though, I want to talk to you about a free gift that I'm going to have for you guys at the end of the presentation presentation, um, so I want you to keep posted for that. Um, we're going to try to spend about an hour, i got so many slides to get through, um, so we may go over and I'm going to open it up for some questions at the end. Right now, everyone is muted and we're using Instant Teleseminar. If you're not familiar with this software, at the end of the call, we're going to do a Q&A. What you can do is you can press star 2, that will raise your hand and it will be a so cue, to who's asked the questions first I'll answer those questions at the end of the presentation. So um I've, I I ha- I'm really excited to get going. I'm going to give you a free uh, a free gift at the end to work one-on-one with me and try to help you recover with your either your adrenal fatigue nightmare, your thyroid problem or both. So going to be excited to talk to you about that at the very end. And so let's get going here. Um, So let's talk about what we're going to be covering. Today we're going to be talking about why you still have thyroid symptoms even though your blood tests are normal. And that's really frustrating because anytime I do a presentation with um, my thyroid patients in in my office, the majority of them, and I'm sure the majority of you guys, have been told that all your blood tests are normal and that you should be feeling fine, although you're not feeling fine. You're exhausted. You're fatigued. You have brain fog. You have gut issues you're cold, you can't lose weight, you crash in the middle of the day, you get shaky, lightheaded or jittery if you miss a meal or you crash after a meal, you're wired and tired, you're all those things, yet your blood tests are normal. And one of these days I'll have a, a seminar on that alone. But today we're talking about the thyroid adrenal connection. We're going to be talking about how to eliminate adrenal fatigue and have a healthy thyroid. That's the uh, million-dollar question, uh, the holy grail, if you will. And, and the way I look at it is, is the best defense is is a good offense. And what I mean by that as well is, is that we really need to figure out what is causing these stressors. It's not so much that you have a, a deficiency in supplements or you need to be taking this this medication or that medication. It comes down to the mechanics of why your body is breaking down. And you'll see that the underlying theme is stress. And when we can figure out all the different stress variables and what's impacting us. And stress is not just... Uh, mental stress like your job or your, your relationships or your, or your parents or your finances, that's not stress. I have so many patients that I talk to and they say, well, I don't have a lot of stress. That's not the only source of stress. It certainly is a big stressor, but it's not the only source of stress. We have environmental stressors, environmental toxins, um, heavy metal toxicities, pollutants, xenobiotics, medications, food reactivities, gut breakdown. Those are stressors. And those things create inflammation in your body and ultimately break down the mechanics of the adrenal and the thyroid so if we can figure out what your particular breakdown is or what your combination of breakdowns are and address those then that's really the way you eliminate adrenal fatigue and have a healthy thyroid and what I like to use these days is adrenal fatigue and having a healthy thyroid is not a noun it's a verb it's a process that happens all the time you're what you're either going forward or or you're going backwards. Nothing is static in life. And so you're either doing things to detoxify on a daily basis more than you're actually getting toxins in your body, and so you have a negative deficit, or you're doing things to help your gut microbiome on a daily basis, or you're doing things that are, are hindering your gut uh, uh, microbiome. So it comes down to positives and minuses, meaning what are you doing on a day-to-day basis that's helping you eliminate a lot of these excess stressors, and that's really how the battle is won. So we'll talk a little more specifically about that. Um, also, we'll be talking about why 80 to 90% of the time, Thyroid medications won't work, and how to determine if yours is. I had a um, one of our blog, or, sorry, our blog, our Facebook fans asked me if I could have the reference to the 80 to 90 percent of all hypothyroid um, conditions are an autoimmune condition, and I, I do have that reference now. I didn't put it in my slides, which I should have, but it's from the Clinical Endocrine Metabolism Journal, uh, 1988, um, August second edition. Uh, number three, and it's pages 590, 591 to 617. So there are some references, references for you, um, and, and we're going to get into what are the best supplements to help you boost your metabolism, regain your energy, and get your life back. That's what everyone wants to know, although remember what I just said. It doesn't come down to just getting these supplements in you. It comes down to identifying what are your particular stressors that we need to help you with. All right, so we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, this is all about people that are suffering with adrenal fatigue and thyroid issues. So I'm going to teach you how to overcome your adrenal fatigue um, with different topics each week. And today we're talking about the thyroid. Um, But, you know, it all comes down to stressors. And I heard recently that a definition of environment is anything but yourself. So you are yourself and, and anything but yourself is the environment. And so the way your body processes is anything but yourself. The environment is defined as stress. And so if you have a lot of stressors that are impacting your yourself, then ultimately it's going to create a... Um, a a prolonged stress response, and then the prolonged stress response causes breakdowns in hormones, causes continuation of inflammation, it causes altered gene efficiencies to be even more altered, and we'll talk about that because that's cutting-edge stuff with 23andMe and genetic testing and nutrigenomics and understanding how energy is produced at the cellular level because really at the end of the day, that's what's going on is if you had to leave right now and you couldn't listen to any more of this conversation and the one thing that you got out of it was that you have mitochondrial dysfunction, that would be pretty accurate, and you can spend your next research days on how to recover your mitochondria. So um, but we'll get into that a little bit more, talking about being wired and tired. Um, and nothing more frustrating like I said, going to the doctor and being told that your blood tests are normal or worse, there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue and, and that's really, really frustrating. And and then the doctor is not believing you that what you're suffering with is real. If, is as if you want to feel this bad and you don't want to be able to bounce out of bed and you don't want to be productive and you don't want to have energy and you just want to be a burden. I mean, that's super frustrating when you're looking for some help and then the doctor is telling you that it must all be in your head. So so basically, I want you to focus on this on this presentation if you can close your browser windows, which if you have a lot of browser windows open, there's another source of constant stress and 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 focus issues that are going to deplete your neurotransmitter supply, which we can talk about as we go further as well. So let's have some fun. Um, Why should you listen to me? I always like to start this off with my story. Um, I've been a chiropractor for the past 15 years. However, I'm also a certified functional medicine practitioner, graduated from Functional Medicine University. So that's a graduate program that's open from all disciplines like MDs and DCs and naturopathic doctors. And so that's a really great program. And right now I'm working towards my um, my diplomat in nutrition. I just actually have to just sit for the test. Um, I also have a diplomat in the American Association of Integrative Medicine, and I am also a past certified conge- uh, strength and conditioning specialist with an exercise physiology background and a psychology background. And then um, myself, I had suffered with adrenal fatigue with having over $150,000 worth of student loans, moving to a new country, having a pregnant wife with twins who had to be on bed rest at 20 weeks, and injuring my my back. And I had an um, a, uh, acupuncturist patient of mine bring in... Um, a book called Why Do, I, Why Do I Have Thyroid Symptoms Even Though My Blood Tests Are Normal. And and I've said this before, I, I said, thank you very much, but I, I don't really have a thyroid problem. And so I put the uh, book on my desk and let it go for a couple weeks. A couple weeks became a couple months. And then finally, something pulled me over to it and I started reading it. And, and like I said, it was like a bolt of lightning that st- struck me. And I realized, oh my goodness, this is exactly me. And it was the part on a adrenal fatigue, and I had never even heard of adrenal fatigue. I knew that I was exhausted, and I had brain fog, and I had stress, and I got shaky, lightheaded, and jittery if I missed meals. My blood sugar was never... Particularly regulated, and um, and then it got to the part on the thyroid, and then I realized that how how intricately these are, are related, and I found out that I have basically not an autoimmune thyroid, but I had what's called a a secondary hypothyroidism, which means that your pituitary is is suppressed because of chronic stress, and when you're chronically stressed, whether it's finances or student loans or birth of twins. and and all of the above, um, you're constantly causing the feedback loops from your hypothalamus to your pituitary to your adrenals to secrete cortisol. And over time, what happens is that feedback loop gets faulty and fatigues the pituitary, and that pituitary is also responsible for the hypothalamus-pituitary thyroid axis. And so you'll see patients start having thyroid problems and their TSH is low And what's that all about usually when you have a hypothyroid problem your TSH is high Uh, but in this case when you have a TSH that's low um, that's typically interpreted as hyperthyroid your thyroid is overactive and your hypothalamus is telling your pituitary hey you got to slow things down so the TSH goes low but what what's not correlated is the actual patient symptom imagine the doctor actually having to get into talking to you and asking you how you're feeling and tell me about your symptoms if they just asked that question and said, Hey, how you doing? and you told them that you're tired, you're exhausted, you're burnt out, you're stressed, that is not consistent with a hyperthyroid patient. That's more of a pituitary suppressed hypothyroid problem, and we'll talk about that, so you should have an aha moment with that because I can't tell you how many times I have a patient who comes in with their TSH levels really, really low, and and that could be also because they're taking so much thyroid hormone that their pituitary is basically shut down saying, hey, we don't need to secrete any more TSH, this person's getting enough, and and what happens, I kind of make the analogy, it's kind of like a domesticated lion that is in the, in, in captivity at a zoo, and and then it's getting fed its whole every day of its life and then you put it out in the Serengeti um, desert and it doesn't know how to fend for itself because it's been forced fed for the last 5, 10, 15 years. It's kind of like your thyroid. When you have a thyroid problem and you're getting TSH and then all of a sudden you try to go off of it, it could have been too long that your hypothalamus pituitary thyroid axis hasn't been fired off very well and it, it never really comes back online. So that's a question I get a lot with my patients is, can, can I ever get off this thyroid med? It really depends. It depends on how long you've been on it. depends on um, if you have an autoimmune problem. It depends on what the straight state of the adrenal glands are. <clears throat> Pardon me. It also depends on if you have other stressors and gut breakdown and, and, and other immune uh, triggers that need to be addressed. But ultimately, it's our goal to try to decrease your reliance on that. So let's talk about though being told that your lab tests are normal even though you feel lousy and this is one of those things that makes me want to pull my hair out because you got to figure how are these lab tests being um, how are we how are we actually coming up with these lab ranges and so people don't realize if I take a lab test in where I live in Boca Raton Florida and you take a lab test in, say, um, let's say in Odessa, Texas, or someone takes a lab test in uh, Maine, or someone takes a lab test in upstate New York. Those lab ranges, if you got your blood tests and someone else got their blood tests and you put them beside each other, you'd see that those blood test ranges deviated from each lab, and they'd be closely around a certain mean but they are typically different from lab to lab and the reason that is is because the lab tests are based on all the people that took the lab at that test or took the test at that lab the year prior and so they average all the high they average all the low they take it out a couple standard deviations and if you're higher than the high or lower than the low then you're told that you are unhealthy or you're told that you're not normal and until you are actually sicker than the average person that took their lab, you're told you're normal. And that is really, really, really ridiculous. Because if you think about it, number one, people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker. It was estimated, I believe it's by the um, the American Association of, uh, what is it called here? Let me pull it up here. It is estimated by um, The American Autoimmune Related Disease Association says that there's up to 50 million Americans that have autoimmunities. And so if the population is getting sicker and sicker and sicker and you're basing a blood test on the population's averages, then if you're not sicker than they are, you're told you're normal and you can still have fatigue and brain fog and focus problems, yet you're not over the line in terms of being sick enough. And I always use the example of my twins that are just graduated from middle school. And and the example of the medical model would be your kids aren't failing the grade yet, so they're normal. Um, and if they're getting a C plus, they're normal. It's let's wait till they get a failing grade before we start to flag them and give them extra help. That's the medical model is that you're not sick enough right now, you need to get a little more sick before we can actually give you some kind of prescription or we can do some kind of intervention. But until then, if you're not over the line, you're okay. And, and just imagine how, how frustrating that is because you don't have to be over the line before you start having problems. So that's the number one problem is that if you're not sicker than the average sick person, then you're told you're normal. And, and, and as an example, I actually had a patient come in the other day and they had a glucose, um, test and, and their value, their lab ranges were 65 on the low end and they were 134 on the high end. And I was beside myself. I had never seen the, the blood ranges be 65 to 134. And so she was, I want to say like 124 or 125. So she was told that she was normal. Um, but if you actually look to see what the, the ranges are to diagnose someone as a diabetic patient, it's 126. So what that's saying is if you're 126 to 134, you're normal. Or another way of saying that is is it's normal to have diabetes now. So that's how ridiculous the lab ranges are. And and it's really frustrating. So what a functional medicine doctor will do is they'll figure out what the healthy ranges are. And this is actually not me, a rogue doctor, figuring out these ranges. It's actually the endocrine society coming up with these functional ranges that they base on on actuary tables when you're getting someone to get a a good A-rated insurance policy, is you better believe that those insurance companies are going to compare you to a healthy person before they decide how much of a policy they're going to give you and how much you're going to pay. They're not going to give you a policy based on the sick ranges and say okay you're normal and then give you a really low premium. They're going to compare it to who's the healthiest people and let's compare you to them and then we can see if you're normal or not. So, unfortunately normal is not healthy and when you're told your blood tests are normal and and you still feel lousy, that's the exact reason why. And so, you know, it's it's frustrating, but as long as you're aware of the process and you have a doctor that is aware of the process, then you can bypass the fact that you don't need to be sicker than the average sick person before something is 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 alerted. Um, the other thing I find frustrating and, and kind of sad, if you will, is I have a lot of patients that will have a lab test and they will be in a high range or will be in a low range and their doctor says, well, I'm not too worried about it. And and that, I mean, what, what point do you finally get worried about it? I mean, it's, it's at some point you got to start to get worried that the, the blood ranges are, are too high or too Low. So that's really frustrating, and, and I feel your pain and, and realize that functional medicine looks at it from more of a, of a functional range and compared to a healthy range. And so um, moving on to the next slide, um, we see that there is these shades of gray, and those are basically those functional ranges where if you are on the cusp, meaning if you're higher than the lab range uh, sorry, the functional range, but you're you're lower than the abnormal range, you're told you're normal. And that's really how you want someone to evaluate your blood work. And I do that all the time is I'll look at someone's blood work and I'll tell them things that they've never been told before. Like I said, did you know you're you're trending towards uh, uh, microcytic anemia, uh, meaning you have iron deficiencies. It's causing um, your inability to produce iron and, and tr- carry oxygen to your bloodstream. And that's causing you to fatigue and have brain fog. I had a patient who actually went through thousands of dollars of CT scans and blood tests um, but they weren't past the ranges in terms of the lab ranges, although they were out of the ranges, the healthy ranges, and we looked at their blood value, saw that they had a macrocytic anemia, we gave them some B12, we tried to help absorb um, nutrients, we tried to identify the source of why they weren't secreting enough stomach acid, and then ultimately it came down to knocking out the H. pylori infection, they were absor- absorbing more B12, um, they were uh, maturing their red blood cells, they were co- carrying more oxygen to their to their blood supply, and believe it or not, they were dizzy anymore so sometimes it takes a little bit of investigating and looking at it a little bit more closely and I'll tell patients that you know when when your blood ranges are out of range who do you think is reading your blood tests and and they'll say, well, the doctor is reading the blood test. And I say, well, think again. And I say, well, the nurse is reading the blood test. I say, well, think one more time. And they say, well, the tech is reading the blood test. I say, well, one more guess. And when it comes down to it, the computer is reading the blood test. And how is that? That's because the blood tests are set up for ranges. And so when you have these big, broad ranges and you have a high and a low, if your range is within that range, it's not flagged. And if your range is outside of the range, it's flagged flagged. And, and so that's how the doctor really looks at your blood tests after the computer has anau- analyzed it, looks and scans very quickly and says, okay, it's normal. You're, you're normal in this area, you're normal in this area, and this one's a little high. I'm not too worried about that right now. Or this one's a little bit high. Let's get you on some cholesterol lowering medication. And it doesn't come down to figuring out what is actually breaking down. It comes down to figuring out how quick can we get you out of the office. And I know that's a politically incorrect statement, but I say this at all my workshops and I say when I graduated in 2001 and and I started taking Medicare patients on I was getting paid more in 2001 than I am now in 2016 And that's the truth. And so in 2001, when I was getting paid more for each visit on a Medicare patient, um, my overhead was higher, my staff was higher, my expenses were higher um, now than they are in 2001. So I always say, do you think a doctor has more time to spend with you or less time to spend with you? And the patients always say less time. And I say, well, then it suits the doctor really fine to be able to have a computer look at the blood work, flag it if it's high or low. And if it's in the normal range, you're told you're normal. And then you say, well, wait, doctor, I don't feel good. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And they say to you, well, you should feel good. Your blood tests are normal. And you say, well, I don't feel good. And then maybe you're prescribed the medication, an antidepressant, but you're not really having someone try to go back and figure out what the mechanical breakdown is. So I digressed a little bit. I apologize, but it just makes me really, 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 really mad when these ranges are so broad and, and you see a lot of people suffering. So here's the co- Couple of examples, uh, normal tests. So I, I talked a little bit about glucose. I actually need to change that range because it went from 65 to 134, which I've I've never actually seen before. Um, but um, TSH is the one that we're talking about. They're anywhere between 0.3 to 5.7. So that's a huge range if you think about it. Like you can have, say, 4.2, and you would be a hypothyroid patient from a functional range, but from a lab range, you are normal. So the functional range for TSH is 1.8 to 3.0, and the the traditional range, or what we call the lab ranges, or the ranges that compare you to the average sick person, is 0.3 to 5.7. So if you're not sicker than that average sick person, then you're told you're normal. and so you see these for all these different ranges. Any analyte that they measure has a functional range and a healthy and, and a laboratory range and or we we call a pathologic unhealthy range and a functional healthy range. And I always tell my patients, you should want to be compared to a healthy person versus a sick person. And and with cholesterol, actually, it's one of those things where the functional range is a little broader than the lab ranges. And, and so what, I, what that means is typically you'll see that um, below 200 for the traditional range, and I even see below 180 for the traditional range, and then I see somewhere between 150 to 220. So why would functional ranges be higher or more broad in cholesterol? And the question, the answer to that is, is because there's such things as medications that are patented that require you to get your cholesterol lower, and drug companies can make billions of dollars doing that. So they've controlled the ranges and said that you need to be below this range for you to be healthy. And you better believe that that's being flagged, and when that's flagged, they're prescribing you. Uh, some medication. So now that you got me all worked up, um, you can see that there's a flaw with how the functional ranges and the lab ranges um, determine whether you're healthy or not. So first thing I would tell you or the take-home lesson would be just because your labs are normal, it doesn't necessarily mean you're healthy. It also doesn't mean that you're crazy. It also means that what you're feeling, your fatigue, your exhaustion, your brain fog is real and that you need someone to look at it from a functional range and not a laboratory range. I, I tell people every day things they've never heard before and they say, well why didn't my doctor tell me this? And I say, well they they're they're based on an insurance based model. They're based on a time constraint model. They're based on a pharmaceutically based model. And that means that if you're high or low, they'll give you prescriptions. If you're normal you you need to go and 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 don't let the door hit you on the way out. And and that's kind of how it works. And it's a sad commentary now. Um so anyways um the other thing about the the functional ranges and the lab ranges is a lot of the time the lab ranges not only are they so broad and they're not as sensitive picking up um certain conditions that you can have at such a, a at a more narrow range but they're incomplete like I can't believe when I see uh, someone come in with their blood work and there's no iron panels on there, there's no homocysteine, there's no uric acid, there's no C reactive protein, there's no uric acid, I said that, there's no um vitamin D. I even sometimes see no cholesterol, no no liver enzymes. It's like how how lazy can can insurance be not wanting to screen you for some of these some of these major Blood values that can tell us a lot of information, let alone them being so broad. And you know what? I I, I also explain why typically that can happen. The reason that can happen is because when bl- blood ranges are so wide and you're told you're normal, then, then there's no medical necessity to write a script for another blood test. And so what does that mean? It means in order for the doctors to have a, a insurance approve of another test, you need to have a positive test. You can't just order a test just because you suspect something. You need to have objective-based evidence that shows that this person has a condition and you need to, exp- you know, you need to further investigate. However, when the blood ranges are narrow, um, sorry, when they're so broad, and you're not sicker than the average sick person, then it's not medically necessary to order a, a test that's more specialized. And so, not only are you being told you're normal, and you're not sicker than the average sick person, you're not getting all the blood values that you need to see to really make some be- good, educated decisions as to how you're feeling. So, that's why I put this slide up here, is because a true thyroid functional test is not just about TSH. It should have total T4. It should have free thyroxin index, which is the amount of T4 that's available for use. It should have your free T4, and, and that's how much thyroxin is not bound to a protein, and that's affected by prescription drugs. should have T3 uptake, and that's how much T3 is available or taken up by the binding proteins. You should have also free um, T3, which is how much T3, or the active form of the hormone, is available. You should have reverse T3, and that's... That is not used by the body. I, I call the reverse T3 the lazy cousin who kind of sits on your couch, eats up all your food, and doesn't contribute anything to the household bills. That's what reverse T3 is. It's basically a, um, a, a blocker of T3 getting into the active form, getting into the cell. And reverse T3 is affected by stress. So if we have more stress, then our reverse T3 levers go up, and now we have uh, inactive um, Hormone that is binding to the receptors that otherwise could have been used by the active T3, yet you're getting TSH to help with your hypothyroid. So if you don't do the test, you don't know what's going on. And then most importantly, the thyroid peroxidase antibodies and the thyroid binding globulin antibodies, and even the TSH antibodies. I can't tell you how many patients that I consult with that have told me they've never had an antibody test done before. And I think that's it's really a shame that they're put on thyroid medications when 80 to 90% of people that have a thyroid based issue have an antibody or an immune based problem and they're not even testing you for that that's that's a real shame in in my book so anyways those are the um those are the good complete tests that you should have on your thyroid test and a lot of the times you see only T4 and total and TSH that's the typical things that you see. And, you know, I've had patients that have been on thyroid medications for years and years, and I do a thyroid antibody test, and their values should be between 0 to 34. And I had one lady, and, and her values were in the 1300s. And she'd been on medication for for years and years, and she was really mad. And I said, well, why why didn't you go somewhere else? she said well it was in my insurance plan my insurance paid for it and and that breaks my heart because Insurance should pay for your health condition, um, but insurance is like car insurance. If you get in a car accident, it pays for your for your fender bender or your or your trauma to the car. Just like if you have a, a, an acute injury, your insurance will pay for that. But when you have a chronic condition, when you have mechanical problems with your car, or you need to change the oil or you need to fill up the gas. Insurance is not going to pay for that. Just like if you have a chronic condition in your body, like hypothyroidism, an immune-based problem, mechanical breakdown of hormones, hormones, environmental toxicities, we're not prepared to, to pay for that with insurance because it's an acute-based model. It's a pharmaceutically driven model, and your blood tests are normal. So um, it's hard to make decisions on a 50-year-old's model, and, and TSH and T4 alone is, is too old and outdated to make decisions on that. If, and I can't tell you how many times that I've had a patient who's brought in their blood work, I've reviewed it, and the antibody test is right there, and they were never even explained it. I said, did you re- realize that you have Hashimoto's? And she says, No, I, I didn't know. And I says, well it's I, I'm surprised they even did the test, but you see how it should be between zero to thirty four and they say yeah. And I said, you see how you're at two hundred and they say yeah. I said, did anyone tell you about that? And they say no. And I said, well it means you have an immune based problem and potentially you can take TSH and it will give you a little bit of support and, and help you fire off some hormone and, and get some metabolic activity of your cells working. But at the same time, you have an immune-based problem, your own immune system is attacking your thyroid, and you can take hormone medication to the cows come home, but if you don't address your blood sugar issue, your anemia, your food reactivity, your gut breakdown, your heavy metal toxicity, your Epstein-Barr virus, if you don't address those things, you're never going to get off that TSH because your immune system is being impacted. So, anyways, um, let's move on. Um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis or hypothyroid and Graves' disease are not thyroid-based problems. Your immune system is mistakenly attacking the enzymes or the binding hormones or um, the actual hormone itself, and and it's causing it to overproduce and underproduce, and that's an immune-based problem. There's an imbalance in your immune system, and that's what really needs to be addressed, and you need to do proper testing for that. So, again... With the lecture title being um, How to Recover with an Adrenal and Thyroid Problem, I guess one of the things that I'm really trying to hint at is is you need proper diagnosing, you need proper testing, and you need proper protocols. And unfortunately, this thyroid um, nightmare is, and adrenal nightmare is is not getting any better with traditional medicine. So so let's talk about what the thyroid does and what it supports. The thyroid basically has its hand in everybody's cookie jar, is what I like to say. And so it supports bone material metabolism, so if we have um, low-grade toxicities and and we're very acidic, then the thyroid helps increase the metabolic activity of that bone, and then we know to leach the minerals out of the bone and to buffer the pH of the blood supply, and, and then we need the thyroid to regenerate that bone. So a lot of the times you'll see patients that have high acidity in their body or they're not very alkaline or they have recurring infections or they have decreased bone density. That's putting a lot of stress on your thyroid and your bone metabolism to buffer the toxins that you have in your body. Obviously, the thyroid supports your immune system. It supports the brain and the nervous system. It supports the endocrine system. It also supports the gastrointestinal function, liver and gallbladder function, growth in sex hormones, fat burning, insulin and glucose metabolism, healthy cholesterol levels, proper stomach acid. Basically, every cell in your body has a thyroid receptor. And so, if you have a thyroid problem, that's why you have such widespread fatigue, widespread digestive issues, widespread brain fog, widespread detoxification and bone issues and 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 immune issues and not being able to digest your foods, it's all involved with thyroid hormone. And so, given that thyroid problems are an immune-based problem, then that's why 80 to 90% of people that are taking medication that are, are not going to get better because the fact is they have an immune based problem. It's really only 10 to 20% of the patients that have really a hypothyroid problem primary, meaning the thyroid is asleep on the job and, and the pituitary uh, needs to work harder to wake it up. So that's why we'll give it some more TSH or there may be some conversion issues, which we're going to get into in a moment but really 80 to 90 percent of of you guys are immune I have patients that call in all the time and say hey you got a workshop coming up for thyroid can I come in I don't have my thyroid anymore and and I I kind of jokingly say well do you still have an immune system and they say of course and said well then you should come in because when they took your thyroid out they didn't take your immune system out and I can guarantee you if you want to come to a workshop it means that that taking your thyroid out didn't get fixed and you're still suffering aren't you and she says yeah said well then Get your butt here we 'll talk about how to identify the immune stressors, and we 'll try to put a plan together to get your energy back so So the thyroid problem being an immune based problem is is because eighty to ninety percent of of the um, patients that have a thyroid problem is their immune system is mistaking the thyroid as another as another entity as a foreign invader, so it basically means eight to nine people out of ten have a hypothyroid problem because the fact is their immune system mistakes their thyroid as a foreign invader. Um, So it's really no wonder why adrenal fatigue sufferers that aren't even being identified as a real condition and thyroid sufferers continue to suffer despite being on thyroid medication. Uh, With Hashimoto's um, Functional Medicine 101, it means your immune system basically mistakes your thyroid tissue as a foreign invader, and then basically what happens is it attacks it and it causes underactivity or overactivity, and, and then you get put on medication and you continue to suffer. So what's the common denominator between the two, um, between adrenal problems and thyroid problems? And really, it's stress. At the end of the day, stress is anything that's, that's outside of our body, that our body has to process. So stress is, um, stress is environmental more than anything now. The air quality that we breathe, um, the toxins in the environment, the chemicals, the solvents, the pesticides, the sprays, the heavy metals, and the aluminums, and the mercuries, and the, the fungus, and the parasites, and I, I hate to say that the sky is falling, because I really don't think that it is falling. I think that you can do a lot of proactive things to get better, um, but ultimately, you have to m- decrease your exposure to stress, or you have to also increase your ability to handle the stress that's really going to help you um, recover from from your chronic problems. So, given that stress is the common denominator, stress is physical stress is mental, it's emotional, it's environmental, it's toxic, it's pathogenic, it's otherwise. So, don't just think that stress is only about having a, a stressful life or having a job or having a marriage or having finances. Those will certainly contribute to your stressors, but it's really more than that. And all of these stressors impact your body metabolically, meaning all your cells, your tissues, your organs, your systems, they have a thyroid receptor and, and 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 that helps the metabolic activity of your cell. And when we have stress, it's going to impact the thyroid's ability to get into the cell. And all of these cells need thyroid hormone to speed up or slow down the activity. So if your stress impacts your thyroid activity, um, then obviously it's going to impact you in many different ways, like we mentioned. Um, stressors also impact your stress system, which is obviously your adrenals. And so your adrenals get um, are basically your, um, I call it your clutch of your automatic or your, your your standard car, where your manual car, where when you get a stressor um, and you have to switch gears, you have to go from from first gear to second gear. Your clutch has to be working well. Or if you have to shift down from second gear to first gear then your clutch has to be working well. And that's kind of how your adrenals are. If, if you have a stressor and you don't handle the stressor very well, you can't go from one gear to the next, you're going to have anxiety, you're going to have irritability, you're going to have breakdowns, you're going to have palpitations, you're going to have faintiness, and, and you're going to have ir, 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 inappropriate responses to stress. And that's what your adrenal glands are. So hence, that's why adrenals and thyroid are related together. And that's why I really do believe if you've been told you have a thyroid problem, If you've been lucky enough, then you should also be told that you have an adrenal problem and vice versa. If you've been told you've had an adrenal problem, if you've been lucky enough that you've been told it, not lucky enough that you have it, um, then you should have also been told that you have some thyroid-based problem. So let's talk about some hypothyroid symptoms, um, fatigue, increase in weight gain, even when no matter how little food you eat, and I've talked about ketogenic diets, um, you can get a replay of that, of a webinar that I had earlier or last week, um, morning headaches that wear off as the day progresses, uh, depression, constipation, overly sensitive to cold weather, but Hashimoto's you can be also overly sensitive to, to hot weather, um, and it can cycle back and forth between hypersymptoms and hyposymptoms, and that's what's so confusing about it is you you may have a little bit of both, Um, poor circulation and numbness in the hands and feet. Uh, muscle cramps even at rest Um, get colds really easily your immune system is really depleted Um, bacterial problems easily and it's really difficult to recover from wounds and from just being run down requiring excessive amounts of sleep to function properly Um, chronic digestive problems so not being able to break down foods effectively dry itchy skin dry brittle hair Hair hairs falling out I can't tell you how many people I work with that we get their Hair to come back. Once we start to identify the the immune stressors and and minimize those and get feedback loops working better and receptors working better and inflammation settled down, that their hair comes back. And it's not a magic pill. It's a, it's a matter of figuring out what the mechanical breakdowns that are occurring in the body, um, edema, especially in the facial area. That's called mixed edema, and then loss of that outer side of uh, outer portion of the eyebrow. And then we go over some of the adrenal symptoms – cannot stay asleep, cannot um, stay asleep twice, um, crave salts, uh, slow starter in the morning – Uh, afternoon fatigue, dizziness when you stand up quickly so we get some autonomic responses, afternoon headaches or headaches with exertion or stress, weak nails perspire easily, under high amounts of stress, weight gain when under stress, wake up tired even after six hours of sleep or more, excessive perspiration or perspiration with little or no activity. So you see that there's a lot of overlapping symptoms between the thyroid and the adrenals. So let's talk a little bit about understanding thyroid and the adrenal mechanics in order to heal both. And basically, stress breaks down both. So, so thyroid basics and adrenal basics. Just get a little bit technical, and I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible. Possible, but basically, the hypothalamus in the brain senses um, any changes in the internal environment. So, I always make the analogy that it's the thermostat inside your house, and it it, it checks for ambient air. And if it gets colder in the house, it sends a message to the um, It sends a message to heat up the the house. It's kind of the same way with the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is the central control station. It takes inventory of the body, and then if it finds that we need to um, warm up the house, so to speak, it sends a message to the pituitary. Which is like the field general, and it says, "Okay, the sergeant just told me that I have to um, I have to mobilize the troops." So it gets its marching orders via TRH or thyroid releasing hormone, and then the pituitary gland sends thyroid stimulating hormone. So I bet many of you guys didn't even realize that TSH is not even made in the in the thyroid. TSH is made in the pituitary, and thyroid stimulating hormone gets it, it is released by the pituitary, and then it causes the TPO um, enzyme inside the thyroid to help make T4, which is the inactive form of the hormone, and then T3, which is the active form of the hormone, and it makes a 93% inactive and 7% active, and then basically these hormones take a taxi cab, which is called thyroid-binding globulin, to the liver once in the liver, the liver will help break down that, um, that inactive form of T4 into T3. So you can see how if you had a liver problem, if you have toxicity issues, fatty liver, mitochondrial dysfunction, reactive oxidative species, if you have all of these things mainly taking place in the liver, and the liver is the coffee grinder, if you will, it It grinds the coffee bean of T4 into the ground-up form of T3 so that we can utilize it in the coffee machine. It's the same analogy. T4 is the coffee bean. T3 is the ground-up form. And if you can't convert T4 into T3 effectively, it doesn't matter how much TSH you take or Synthroid or Cytomel or Armor or even T3. It doesn't matter because if your liver is not converting the inactive into active, then you are not going to have... Have a lot of energy at all. Um, but what's interesting about these thyroid mechanics is that the adrenals kind of work on the same way. The hypothalamus is the central control station, it senses a stressor. I hate to use this analogy, but imagine getting held up at gunpoint. And and imagine that initial adrenaline, adrenaline rush, um, that's instantaneous. That's a, a neuronal response. So the hypothalamus basically sends a nervous response to the adrenals directly. Um, but then what it does is it sends its marching orders to the pituitary and says, "Hey, you gotta go tell the adrenals to 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 respond to this stressor." Um, And in this case, because the immediate adrenaline response causes um, increased respiration, causes um, a sympathetic um, increase in heart rate, increase in blood pressure, increase in vascularity to your your peripheral muscles. When it does that, then the the pituitary then gets its marching orders via CRH. So instead of thyroid-releasing hormone, it's cortisol-releasing hormone or or cortical-releasing hormone and the pituitary instead of TSH to the thyroid releases ACTH which is adrenal cortical thy- um uh, tropin hormone, and basically what that helps, that tells the adrenals that, hey, you gotta 're got to get ready to release some cortisol, and then cortisol is released. So, they're very similar. The adrenals get the messages from the pituitary, which get the messages from the hypothalamus, and we call that the HPA axis, and then the, the thyroid gets its message from the pituitary, which gets its message from the hypothyroid, and we call that the hypothal- hypothyroid-pituitary thyroid axis. So, these mechanics start to break down and the feedback loops get broken and the pituitary gets tired. And that's what I was dealing with. And then all of a sudden you're told that your lab tests are normal because you're not sicker than the average sick person. Although you have a pituitary based suppression of your, of your adrenals or your thyroid and you feel lousy. So that's, that happens more times than you can imagine. So, so basically, this is, geog- this is a graphical representation of the thyroid um, releasing hormone going to, to the pituitary, the thyroid um, making T4 and T3, having a taxi cab taking it to the liver. Um, 20% gets converted in the gut. Um, and and so if you have gut or liver issues, and that's responsible for converting 80% of your inactive form, then how is taking TSH or thyroid or Synthroid going to fix that? It's not. And so, again, how do we recover with a thyroid problem? We fix the gut. We fix the liver. That's a big issue. Um, or we reduce our stressors, or we do all of the above. So stress impacts the thyroid and the adrenal mechanics in many ways. Um, that's what I wanted to talk to you about right now. Um, primary hypothyroidism. So that's basically the 10 to 20% of the people that will respond to thyroid medications where basically your thyroid gland gets lazy and the pituitary tries to kick it in its pants and, and give it some more TSH. And really, this is the only th- pattern that's going to respond to hormone replacement therapy. Um, nutritional support, if you get this early, um, You can use a a thyroid glandular. Um, Ashwagandha is really, really great vitamin A, vitamin D, selenium, and zinc for cofactors. And then you also want to support the conversion of T4 to T3 by using something called google Google, Google, Or you can also use um, um, anti-peroxidative compounds like phosphatidylcholine, SOD, catalase, glutathione. All of those things are going to help reduce the oxidative species, which, by the way, are all responses to stress. So, stress does impact the conversion of t four to t three and if you 're primary hypothyroidism and you 're not making a lot of um, a lot of t three and t four you want to optimize your t four to t three conversion, and that 's why you can um, help that by reducing stress so that 's where stress plays a role with primary hypothyroidism. Um, then you have hypothyroidism secondary to pituitary hypofunction that 's a, a mouthful, but basically it means that you 're your underactive thyroid is a result result of your pituitary being tired. And we talked about that. That's what I was dealing with. Um, That's usually because of chronic stress, because of the feedback loops, could be because of hormone pills, could be because of taking so much Synthroid, could be estrogen, postpartum depression, um, insulin resistance. All of those things are are stressors or environmental factors. And anything that's other than self is an environmental factor, is a stressor, is going to impact your thyroid and adrenal function. Hopefully you're getting that 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 theme by now. Um, nutritional support is, again, you can go on a thyroid, a pituitary, glandular, uh, robidium, sulfate is good, sage, leaf extract, L-arginine is really good, gamma-orazinol is good, magnesium, zinc, and manganese. So those are, re- are all really good. Um, if you want, um, if you want to just email me, after this presentation, I can send you these slides and you can review these um, nutrients that would be helpful for you. I'd I'd be willing to do that for you guys. Um, Thyroid underconversion, this is very, very common. Uh, the, The gland is making enough T4 Um, but it's not converting T4 to T3 very well. And we talked about where this takes place, 80% in the gut and the liver. So um, if you have chronic adrenal stress, it's going to increase or decrease the conversion of T4 to T3. Cortisol does that. If you have a chronic infection, that's going to impact your liver, that's going to impact your immune system. 80% of your immune system is in your gut, and that's going to inc- impact your conversion of T4 to T3. And this is often missed because low T3 doesn't affect TSH, only T4 affects TSH, and T3, if ever, is hardly even checked. So, um Ask your doctor to run a T3 total and, and, a, and a free T3 to, to get an idea on how well your T3 is. And if, if it's low, we know there could be an a under-conversion problem. So glutathione cream is really, really good. Uh, serine is good for the adrenals. It helps regulate the feedback loops for the hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenals. Um, compounds to support T4 and T3 conversion, like the guglio, the selenium, the zinc. The, again, the anti-peroxidative compounds like SOD, glutathione, catalase, um, phosphatidylcholine. Those are all great supplements. Thyroid overconversion and decreased taxi cabs. Um, too much active T3 is made and is overwhelming the cells, and there's not enough taxi cabs, which means there's not a lot of free T3. That's a kind of confusing one, um, but the whole, the main reason we see uh, overconversion is because of insulin resistance, and the reason we see insulin resistance is because of too much glucose or mitochondrial dysfunction, and the reason why we see too much glucose or mitochondrial dysfunction is because of stressors, and stressors being too much food too much glucose, too much absolute amount of calories, or just too much oxidative stress from the environment or having the wrong genetic predisposition. So you can really see how we can start to put the dots together by understanding your genetics, understanding your total T4 and your total T3, looking at cortisol. Um, I really like to do a dried urinary total cortisol test now. It's called the Dutch test. And I think next week my, my presentation will be on um, on that and basically just the adrenals themselves. Um, but basically, with any with any with any hormone that is increased, you're going to have resistance to that hormone. So if you have insulin that's increased, if you have thyroid hormone that's increased, if you have estrogen hormones that are increased or testosterone hormones, the analogy I use it's like that nagging spouse or that that boss that's always yelling at you. Eventually, you tune it out, and that's what your cells do is they tune out the messages being sent from these hormones that that are elevated, and then and then they're are no longer to get into the cell. And then it's like you have too little hormone and you don't. You just have too little receptors for the hormones to get into the cells. So some nutritional supports you can do is you can do some glucose or sugar um, balancing. Like I said, I like to do ketogenic diets. That's that's a great support for balancing blood sugar, for using ketones for your fuel source, for reducing insulin resistance, for helping mitochondrial function. So those are a lot of things you can do for that. Thyroid resistance, we kind of segued into that when pituitary and thyroid glands are fine, they're working well, um, but hormone levels are too high. And why would hormone levels be too high? Because of chronic stress. So chronic stress impacts all of the mechanics, hypothyroidism from a primary thyroid problem, secondary thyroid problem, stress impacts that. Under conversion, stress impacts that. Over conversion, stress impacts that. Thyroid resistance, stress impacts that. Stress impacts all of that, yet there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue. So, you know, if there was a medication that they could patent and, and have you guys b- rely on that for the rest of your lives, then probably there would be such a thing as adrenal fatigue. So, but I digress. Um, so anyways, thyroid and adrenal dysfunction are signs of metabolic dysfunction. And basically, proper stress assessment testing is crucial. So, so what tests would I recommend you guys get? Or, or at least talk to your functional medicine doctor to, to give you um, some of these tests. And it starts with the complete metabolic. Profile, remember, I told you that one of the problems is not that the lab tests are so broad it 's that the lab tests are also very very narrow in terms of all the tests that they're 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 looking at they 're not looking at vitamin D levels a lot of the times they don 't look at iron levels they don 't look at kidney levels um, they don 't look at homocysteine and uric and sur- uric acid and c reactive protein. They don't look at a lot of the things. So they don't look at antibodies. And, and that's a that's a necessity. Any patient that I work with with a thyroid problem, that's one of the very first things that we do. And while I'm on the topic, I've had a lot of patients say, yeah, I've had thyroid antibodies tested. And I say, well, did they ever retest them? And they say, no. I say, well, well, why didn't they? And they say, well... That's not the the methodology, and it really isn't because medicine is like once you got an antibody, you always got an antibody, which is absolutely true. If you get an inoculation for um, a vaccination, and you t- you get say let's say you get a mumps, measles, rubella uh, vaccination, and you develop antibodies to the the, the attenuated virus, then what's going to happen is you have you have immunity for that for the rest of your life. You have antibodies that have been produced for the rest of your life, which is absolutely true. So if you have an antibody or your own immune system has tagged your thyroid as a foreign invader and and now you have antibodies, you have antibodies for the rest of your life. Absolutely true. But what I tell patients is there's a difference between thyroid um, reactivity and thyroid disease. And so what does that mean? It means thyroid disease is the fact that you have antibodies or an autoimmunity. But you don't have to have reactivity, meaning if your immune system is functioning well, your blood sugar is stabilized, you're controlling your stressors from the outside environment, you are helping with your mechanics of the feedback loops, you are balancing your hormones, you're, you're reducing infections, and you're humming along really well, guess what happens? You're cleaning up the gut and you're detoxifying the liver. Those antibodies actually go down, and, and, and that's really the way you heal an autoimmune problem is you do all those things and then you can see these antibody levels go down and I see it all the time and I'll I'll present to you some of my case studies at the end I have patients that go from 2000 to 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 200 in 6 weeks from cleaning up their gut they're easy they're the easier cases um but we also once we start to identify some of these stressors like Epstein bar virus cytomegalovirus herpes simplex virus methylation issues um neurotransmitter issues, heavy metal toxicity issues, genetic weak link issues. Once you identify the roadblocks and you start clearing them up, guess what happens? the antibody levels fall. But guess what happens to those that, A, never get antibody levels tested? They don't know. They stay on thyroid medication for the rest of their lives. Or, B, if those have been lucky enough to get antibody levels tested, they're never getting them retested. And it just seems to me that it's evidence-based medicine is taking a test, seeing what your results are, implementing a protocol, whether it's a medical protocol, meaning you're using medication, or you're doing homeopathic, or you're doing nutritional, or you're just doing lifestyle management, put a timeline on it and say, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna implement this protocol, I'm gonna retest it, and see if some of the values change. And in the case of hypothyroid, you wanna see not so much the TSH change, because that's like chasing your tail, you wanna see your your antibody levels change. But most of you are not getting your antibodies tested in the first place, let alone the second place, and and most of you are just saying, well, my thyroid level went down so or up, so I need to take more medication. I was taking too much, so my thyroid TSH went low, so I went to I went lower, and I had to take more less medication. But then it wasn't working as well, so then I had to take more medication, and then ultimately it just becomes you chasing your tail. And I and I can just see you through this phone, and you're shaking your head, yeah, that's exactly what's happening to me. So, so the other thing I suggest is the hormone Test, which is the Dutch test, we use a lab called um, Precision Labs, and and I can ship those across the world, which is really cool. If you're listening to this in in the UK, or you're listening to this in Australia, or you're listening to this in in different countries in in, in North America or Europe, we could, part of me, actually send these lab tests to you, and and then we can have them sent back here and then we can assess your your metabolites. And that's really cool because we can see your total cortisol levels, what's been used up, what's inactive. We can see your metabolites for estrogen. We can see your metabolites for the androgens. We can see different times of the day, how it's working on a circadian rhythm from taking a reading at 6 p.m., then at before bedtime, then when you wake up in the morning, and then two hours later. We're looking at a rhythm, and we're seeing how your feedback loops are working, and, and we're making some really Really good um, c- um, conclusions as to what's breaking down in your body, and then making the n- nutritional and lifestyle recommendations to fix that. Um, we're doing also Cyrex Labs, which is food reactivity tests. Um, we're doing something called the Wheat Zoomer test, which is looking at um, uh, intestinal permeability, whether or not you have peptide um, structure antibodies in your blood to the cell wall. So what that means is, if you have leaky gut. Um, basically what's happening or intestinal permeability. It's kind of like when your gut breaks down and you have a fine metal strainer and you're going to drain the pasta. When you drain the pasta, only the water should fall through. But when you have a broken strainer and it's in in fragments, when you put the pasta and the water in there, not only does the water fall through, but the pasta does too. That's intestinal permeability. So what happens as a result of that is typically your immune system now attacks these partially undigested peptide structures or these protein structures in, in gluten, dairy, egg, soy, wheat, Rice, potato, um, quinoa, amaranth, spelt—all of these foods that you're eating every day—and it's developing food reactivities or intolerances to those things. And I'll get patients that say, "Well, I had a—I a, had a, an allergy test, and I was negative," and I say, "Well." just because you speak Cantonese doesn't mean you speak Mandarin. It's two different languages. You're speaking, you know, you're comparing apples and oranges, meaning your your IgE is what's tested when you're testing for a allergy, um, which is a skin test, but your IgGs and your IgAs are what you're testing when you're testing for an intolerance. So it's not an immediate anaphylactic response, but it is a delayed response that's an immune trigger nonetheless, and that's predisposing you to autoimmunities. And and here you are going gluten-free, which, which is good, but if you're eating, you know, the gluten-free products that have tapioca in it or have quinoa pasta or rice cakes or whatever it is, and you're reacting to these cross-reactive grains, which are similar to gluten, but they're not gluten, you still have intestinal permeability the same, it's causing food, uh, intolerances too, and now those antibodies cross-react with your thyroid and produce an antibody against your thyroid, yet you're told that you're not reacting to gluten. So very very frustrating um we also do um a leaky gut test and actually, I'm sorry, I went too fast there. Um, and then we do 23andMe. And I want to just talk a little bit about that for you. I'm going to take about 20 more minutes and then we'll be done here. But basically, this toxic soup is the environment we live in, and that's what's causing the immune stressors. So we have pollutants and parasites and smog and waterborne illnesses and bacterias and pesticides and amoebas and sprays and mercuries and molds. And all of these things will break down your, your stress response and all of those stress response impacts your thyroid, impacts your hypothalamus, impacts your pituitary, impacts your thyroid and your adrenals. And hopefully you've gotten that by now. So then we do what's called a 23andMe test, and we look at your genetics. And the way I explain that is I I put this slide on here, and basically the importance of genetic testing is kind of like a slot machine. And so you put a dollar bill in that token machine, and four quarters should come out and when four quarters come out you go and you play the slots and you have a lot of fun but if you have um a dollar bill and it spits out only three quarters that's like having a genetic weak link or if you put a dollar bill in and it spits out two quarters you're getting short changed and you don't get to play that slot machine as much as the person who's who's breaking down those those dollar bills into its four in, into how much it, uh, into all of the components that it should be breaking down in and that's what genetics are is is that when you're not able to break down foods effectively, and your enzymes aren't working, you're getting short-chained, and it's not as efficient. When you combine that with all the stressors that we just talked about, now you have a double whammy. And when you have a double whammy, you can have problems with brain chemicals, with producing natural killer cells, for forming coating over your nerves, and basically, you're going to have all these chronic illnesses. And, and this can result in cancer and diabetes and thyroid problems, neurological problems, hormone sensitivity problems, chemical sensitivities, fibromyalgia. And, and doctors don't even know about these, these genetic tests. And, and I even have do patients tell me that they don't think that these, these doctors even believe that it's even real science. And, and I tell these patients to tell their doctors to go ju- on a roof and jump off and, and, and tell them even if they don't believe in gravity, they're going to hit the ground. It doesn't matter if they don't believe in it. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a reality. And, and so you need to implement that into your in, into your recovery strategy. So that's what really makes functional medicine different. Hopefully you got that idea by now. Um, you try to not leave any stone unturned. You look at the patient neurologically. You look at them metabolically. You look at, look at them toxic nutrigenomically which m- means they're looking at their at their enzymes and basically you don't leave any stone unturned so hopefully you got a lot out of that I-, I would love for you guys to re-listen to this I know I flew through it and there's a lot of really great concepts on that I just want to summarize some of the things we talked about I wanted to talk to you about a case study I had Karen come to see me she's an awesome patient um, she had high antibodies um, she actually had her antibodies tested before she started seeing me so we started working together in January of 2015, Um, but the latest antibody test that she had had was in April of 2012. Her TPO antibodies were 648 and her thyroid-binding globulins were 1,800. And thyroid-binding globulins means um, they should be less than one, and she was at 1,800. So we did some gut repair protocols. We did some liver detox protocols. Um, and then five months later, she went from her thyroid antibodies um, being 648 to being 273, and then she went from her thyroid-binding globulins to being 1,800 to being 272. And we still had a lot of work to to do with her. We had to address viruses, um, and, and her antibodies came down even further. But it was really profound how, how much we, we brought their antibodies down. Um, Alicia, we brought her antibodies down. And, and when I say we, it's not we. It's, it's the patient. So they're doing protocols. They're avoiding gluten. They're, they're avoiding their cross-reactive foods. They're cleaning their liver up. They're learning how to methylate better. We're looking at their weak links in their genetics. We're trying to detoxify. We're looking at their stress I'm going to talk to you uh, shortly about heart rate variability and what you can do to, to realize the sympathetic stressors that are impacting your body. And then we had Diane, who recently um, went from 424 antibodies to 192 in six weeks, and, and we haven't really even done too much work with her. And I wish all cases were like that. I wish we could just clean up the gut and everything would be good. It's the difficult cases, the ones that have Epstein-Barr virus, the ones that have um, heavy metal toxicities, chemical sensitivities, EMFs, xenobiotics, radiations, chemotherapies. These are the difficult cases, but they're not the impossible cases, and you certainly got to do the basics. If you're not doing the basics, I don't even know how you're going to get that person better. So what's next? Um, I have an invitation for you guys to work one-on-one with me. I'd love to be able to help you guys um, during our time together. Basically, we need to do a deep assessment, meaning we need. I have about 20 pages of office intake paperwork that you guys are going to fill out, and and we're going to touch on things that you've never really been told about, like your environmental history, where you grew up, um, your mother's history and how her mitochondrial health is, and your family history and how that's related to you. What was your What was your childhood like? Were you were sick Kid. How many antibiotics have you been on? Have you had any infections? Did you get any exposures to toxicities? What kind of foods do you eat? What's your stress like? When did you last feel good? I mean, we put a timeline together and really hit on some important things. And the history is really where you should be getting all this information. And remember what I said is a lot of doctors, they're based on a time-based model. They're getting paid less today than they did, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, and they, everything else went up. They don't have time to ask you questions. And so that's kind of the double-edged sword of what a functional medicine doctor is: is that insurance doesn't pay for a lot of what we do, if anything, but we get to sit down and not be handcuffed to what all the things we can do, and 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 get down to the bottom of, of your health crisis. So that's what we do: um, we try to get a complete picture of your of your of your own unique um, factors and 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 sleep patterns and and, and stressors, um, and then that way we can figure out what's driving your adrenal fatigue and your exhaustion. Uh, We also look deep into um, what's stressing um, your your adrenal fatigue from a a ketosis standpoint. And finally, we look at breakthrough strategies for overcoming your adrenal fatigue from a step-by-step process. Um, I really only accept five new adrenal fatigue slash thyroid Skype patients a month. I can work with patients across the, the globe through Skype, which is really, really cool now. I've had patients in Australia and, and Netherlands and um, and in the UK and Canada and across the states. Um, so I have a full-time practice, so I'm, I'm mainly working with patients in person, but I also do it in, over the Skype. Uh, what my offer is is I have a first appointment. Appointment, which is the in-depth one-hour case review slash troubleshooting, which, like I said, we dive deep into your history and uncover some of those hidden connections that no one is talking to you about. I had an interesting story. I had a patient who had her amalgams removed, and and we we you know we were asking when did this all start for you, and she said seven years ago. So so then we went on and we started talking and we hit upon the 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 mercury in her teeth, and and she said, oh but I don't have that anymore. So oh really great. When did you get that removed? And and she said seven years ago, and she was like, "Oh my goodness, do you think that that could be it?" And I think, well, it's certainly a possibility that no one's really ever talked to you about. Um, she said, "Yeah." And I also had, you know, I had a cold sore, and and I did have um, shingles. Do you think that could be related? No one's ever related that. It's like everything is related, and we need to really know what everything is so that we can figure out what our strategy is. Um, we'll also get into a in-depth health plan for the next six months, covering everything from foods you need to eat to becoming um, ketotic if possible if that's a strategy for you to learning what your heart rate variability is on a day-to-day basis um, to supplements that you need to be taking to testing that needs to be done and then basically we'll set a plan together for regular check-ins um, unlimited email supports and that depending on what protocol you go we have
1: a number of sessions that we do over the skype thanks for tuning into today's show if you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, What are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to society.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.